All right, we're live. So hi, my name's Kelly and I'll be your host today. This is Brains Out Loud podcast sponsored by Mental Health Global Network. And today we have a super special guest. We have Gail Schoenbach who will be joining us. Um, just waiting for her to join and then we'll get started. But today we're here to talk about eating disorders and I think it's so important that we talk about this now. There's a lot of, you know, body dysmorphic behaviors in our society and, you know, um, different cultures that normalize unhealthy behaviors and we're really going to be talking about the relationship with food um, and how that impacts our mental health. All right. Our guest is joining. This is great. Gail, hi. Sorry. I was afraid that was going to happen. <laughs> you know what? It, it's like every time in, in this culture now, everything's online and there's always issues, but we're here now and thank you so much for being here. How's it going? It's going. How are you? Good to I'm see good. Yeah, it's great to see you. It's been so long, and I appreciate you being here today. Um, so sure. I'm going to get this going. So today we're here to talk about eating disorders, and I think it's really important that we talk about this, especially there's certain cultures perpetuated in our society that, you know, put a lot of pressure on body image and such. And so Gail Schoenbach is the founder of Mental Health Directs. She's also a founder of the Freed Foundation. Um, and Mental Health Directs supports individuals with mental health challenges. And Gail herself is a recovering bulimic and an activist for eating disorder causes after receiving treatment for a 24-year battle with bulimia. Um, so she founded the Freed Foundation in 2002, and it's a nonprofit that assists families with financial support for eating disorder treatment, um, as well as you know, supporting families through that uh, mental health recovery. And Gail has won awards for her contributions, and her story has been featured nationally. Um, so we're super lucky to have her here as a guest. And thank you, Gail, again, for being here. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you for having me. Yes, I, um, I live in New Jersey. Um, I grew up in North Jersey. Um, I'm married. I have three grown children. And when I was... 40, 40, I went into treatment for my eating disorder. So I was sick wow. for 24 years, um, pretty much under, under the radar as much as I could spend the time doing that, um, which was very hard when you're married and have children, or you're living at home. I was working, I was working in the city, I was commuting, and I was symptomatic all day long, pretty much. Um, and that went on for a really long time. It started when I was in college. So, um, which is not uncommon for anyone with an eating disorder to typically start, you know, during college. And um, I went away for treatment for six weeks to Florida. Um, I left my kids and my family and my husband and, you know, I went down to Florida to get treatment. And it was really the first time I ever really understood that I had been sick. And that having an eating disorder means you're sick and you're not well. And I never thought about that because I was functioning. You know, I right. did all I needed to do and I was function high functioning person and a caretaker which is also very common and um the hardest part was keeping it quiet you know of course i wanted to stay thin that was the initial reason why i started but it that kind of dissipated over the years and turned into something more than that and a coping mechanism for me 
And um, when I came home from treatment, I decided I was going to save every person that had an eating disorder and get them treatment because I had a lot of issues with my insurance company. Um, they didn't want to cover my my treatment. It was in excess of $80,000. And we had to take a second mortgage out on our home to pay for that. And there was no question I was going to do it, but I wasn't sure how I was going to pay for it. And that's a major issue that a lot of people have, particularly with eating disorders. It's always kind of been one of those illnesses that's been looked at as its choice and that you could stop having that. And it's clearly not. So when I got out of treatment, I started a nonprofit with my husband. We raised money um, to fund individuals with treatment. So that was our plan. And of course, over the next 18 years, we could never raise enough money to help everybody. It sort of began, began being increments. Like if someone needed uh, transportation to go see their sick loved one, or um, they needed therapy coverage, we would do whatever we could. But um, it was a tough, it was a tough plan. But it got me involved with the Eating Disorders Coalition in Washington, D.C., and I became an active member and a board member and really just started advocating because now I wanted to figure everyone to understand that if you got treatment, you could get better. That was going to be my message. And um, recovery was hard. You know, I mean, like anything else, it wasn't easy. Um, talking about it was a big part of my um, treatment because that helped me because I never really did that before and helping other people you know that really was the other thing that became important and I wanted my kids in particular to understand that if you have an illness you can get help and you can get better and there's no shame in it you need to, to ask for help um, there's so many more people that you find that are suffering like you are and there's comfort in that you know not that misery loves company thing but that you're not there's not something weird and wrong with you you know when you start to figure out what it's all about and um and i just really wanted people to know that you know if i could do it anyone could do it being sick for so long so i'm in recovery um it's over 18 years it was not perfect from the beginning at all you know i had <laughs> relapses and issues to deal with and you know but it didn't mean that when I was struggling it was taking away from what I had done and um and that led me into two years ago this whole mental health thing because I spoke a lot about um eating disorders being a mental health illness which it is and a lot of people don't think that it is and so that kind of got me involved in mental health and the mental health first aid program and getting, you know, certified to be an instructor as you are, Kelly, and, you know, to go on do that and just, you know, help more people because there's a lot of similarities along the, you know, the, the groundwork for trying to get better from a mental illness and eating disorders isn't that much different um, from that perspective. So yeah. we're just trying to, you know, help people understand what they're, what it's about and what to look for and how to help somebody and you know that it's much more common than people think it is and there's you know the stigma part portion of it is a tough thing to kind of help lift you know absolutely and i like how as we talk about this like you call you've mentioned that you were sick you called it an illness and it absolutely is yet people don't you know provide the same compassion or urgency um and then even if you can spread enough awareness and instill hope in someone to get treatment. You mentioned the financial barriers, and there's still so many, you know, insurance barriers, and we really do need reform um, in our mental health facilities so that more people can have access to treatment because people are suffering. Um, 
So tell me a little bit about that and, you know, how, how the foundation is still supporting individuals or if someone is watching this, how can they get involved in the organization or how can they, you know, receive help or you know, sure. connect with you? Well, the Freed Foundation, as I said, has been, you know, we haven't been raising money. We stopped kind of running fundraisers back in 2008 when, you know, the economy crashed. And I started to feel like if I was going to run these fundraisers, no to come and support it so now we get some private donations here and there you know when we can we're always here to help anybody um try to get help so you know we work we and that's part of what mental health directs does as well you know we help offer resources we'll help you you know find what you need um i can put people in touch with some people that are um, legally involved with helping cases that don't get their insurance coverage. So, you know, we can help people with that as well. Because, you know, when you're sick and you want help, you don't have the energy, the strength, or the desire to fight with your insurance company and figure out how you're going to get paid to get your help. You want to concentrate on your recovery. And it's very distracting. And it's difficult. You know, we've gotten some legislation passed and some eating disorders recognition in some um, legislation, but we've got a long way to go, as mental health does as well. Um, the flip side is with the pandemic and everything that's going on right now and the, the upswing in mental illness, there's more attention on it. So some insurance companies are helping a little bit more. I mean, not that you wish that because then it just means more people are suffering, but it's getting a little bit more attention. But yeah, Kelly, you're right. I mean, we've got a long way to go. Um, so we're here to help however we can. Um, with any kind of support. So, you know, you can reach out, reach out to me. I'm, I'm basically a one woman show, but I do have those <laughs> that do help when I need it. But um, yeah, it's, you just don't want people to know they're alone. And I want them to make sure that they know that they can reach out and, you know, we can put them in touch with, you know, help. Definitely. And it's so brave of you and courageous. And I think that resonates with people. I'm sure people watching right now, but also when people who are sick come to you who are suffering from an eating disorder, it's probably such a relief to hear your story and how open you are and how far you've come. You know, it's never too late to get help and you're living proof that that's true. And then you're also taking your own pain and helping others with that. I want to turn the conversation to social media and social media's impact on body image, body dysmorphic behaviors, um, and eating disorders in general. How do you think you know, the climate is right now with young girls, young men, anyone, you know, who is seeing the world through this perfect edited glass um, and what impact that's having on eating disorders at large. It's not good. I mean, when I first started um, my treatment, you know, the biggest issues we had back then are websites that were popping up here and there with um, um, ways to become anorexic or bulimic. Like that was like the big thing then. And that was a bit, and that was a little easier to manage because you could, they could get them blocked. And that, that, that's, they're still around, I'm sure. But back then that's all there was. It wasn't all this, you know, Instagram, Facebook, you know, all this stuff. And um, we had, you know, media and print. And obviously we had what we saw on TV, which, you know, you being in the field that you're in as well, you understand, you know, that whole, you know, um, image thing. But um, 
this is bad. You know, it's not good for any age person. You know, it starts very, very young because these young kids can see the same, all the same things that we see as adults that A, they shouldn't be looking at, B, they're interpreting it all wrong, and C, half, more than half of it's not real. You know, I mean, as an older person, um, I see it, you know, and how it affects women my age and older and men as well, not just, you know, young girls and young boys, which it was mostly stereotyped to affect females, which it doesn't. And the messages are all very dangerous. And we believe what we see. You know, we, you see it on print or you see it on social media and it's in front of you, whether it's live or it's a photograph and someone's posting, you believe it. And, and, we know that so much of it is, is altered and fake and not real. And everyone looks like they're having a wonderful life and everything is peachy keen and swell. And, and how come mm -hmm. I'm struggling? And then the flip side of that is when I see celebrities or people that are um, in the media talking about their struggle struggles, there's a tendency to make it seem like theirs is worse than yours. Mm -hmm. And that bothers me. And of course, that they have access to help easier than everybody else. So again, you know, you're looking at, you know, somebody and thinking, oh my God, they have what I have, but they're getting help and, and they're much better. And all this seems better and more um, easy to get over than for me. And it's, they're not accurate depictions. And yet this is what we're, we're seeing and we're believing. And it's, it's really detrimental. Um, you know, I try to keep off social media. I have someone that does it for me because I don't want to do it. And I try to stay off of it. And I turn it off when I'm starting to feel something churning. Usually it's because of something that I've seen. And, um, and I try to stay off it, you know, partially, you know, as much of during the day as I can. You know, um, we're just addicted to it. And um, yeah. it's very, very triggering. Even for people that don't necessarily think they even have issues. You could start to get them you know a little bit yeah yeah and we're at the age where we can critically engage with social media you know it was introduced when i was like 14 15 which is still pretty young yeah but at least i was old enough to kind of have some self-esteem in place so how do these comparisons affect our mental health and how have you seen the connection between social media or these unrealistic body expectations or perfect life expectations and eating disorders? Is that something that is causing more eating disorders in today? Sure, sure. I mean, when it used to just be in print, you could close the magazine and not look at it. I mean, I used to, I used to cut out articles and articles and pictures all the time, and I used to talk about them, you know, in the in the. Um, in the talks I used to give to show people, this is what you're seeing. This is not real. It's harder to do that with this because everybody looks at what they want to look at and believes what they want to see. And there's nothing else coming out and saying no. And when it says, when you have someone that comes out and says, this isn't real, um, or this is what it really looks like, nobody wants to believe that either. You know, you want to see what you see and you want to look like that too, because that person looks like, because they look the way they do, everything is better for them and right. they look happier and they look like they're getting things that I can't get because they're thinner or they're, um, they're richer or whatever it is. You know, they have all these other, other things that I don't have. And it makes you feel bad about yourself when you start to compare yourself to other people and think that that's what your value needs to be as well. Person isn't all that it seems to be. Not that you wish anyone anything bad, but they're human. We're all human. Yeah. 
you know, and the human condition does not allow us to feel wonderful and great every single day. So we have to learn how to manage those things that are difficult. And when you start to look at things that aren't even relevant or real, that just adds, adds to it. And it becomes really difficult to deal with that and manage it and cope with it. And you don't want to tell anybody because they'll, they, they'll look at you like, what do you mean? You know, when the person yeah. next is probably feeling a lot similar to you are. And if you could talk about it with someone else, you might both decide, you know what, this isn't right. I don't want to feel this way. I'm going to get healthier messages to send myself or I'm going to turn it off. Um, so it, it's difficult when you're certainly think you're feeling like it and you're the only one, but you're not. But yeah. this thrown at us constantly and it's it's difficult to, to deal with because we can't turn back the clock i know i can't so you know <laughs> plenty of older people that are really getting affected by it because they're seeing all these younger people and you know they can't go backwards and um and that's really triggering and it's a whole new age group of people that are dealing with eating disorders and uh, um body image and low self-esteem there's an unprecedented amount of pressure on our society in general to achieve to you know on appearance and perfectionism has been at the forefront of a lot of mental health issues a lot of suicidal behaviors um so does perfectionism or this urge to control things how does control play a role in eating disorders because it's not just about being skinny or you know being overweight or um and orthorexia uh i believe is the obsession with exercise, correct? Um, orthorexia. Tell me about that. Um, or, what's really um, bulimorexia is kind of what they call it with um, exercise. A lot, most, a lot of bulimics over-exercise. Um, a lot of the anorexics start out doing that, but they, after a while, when you get so, so sick and thin and you're not eating, the, the exercise portion becomes very difficult to do. Um, bulimics tend to you tend to be considered a bulimic if you're an over-exerciser, actually, because that's a way of purging and getting rid of calories and food by over-exercising. Orthorexia is kind of like these people that analyze everything they eat and only eat certain things for certain reasons. It's a little, it's different from anorexics because a lot of anorexics will just not eat at all. Orthorexics will eat, but they're very particular about what they eat. Very particular. And, um, the perfectionism and the control is part of all of it. You know, we can control what we eat, what we don't eat, what we um, purge. Um, over um, obsessive compulsive eaters, you know, that's all about, they're just eating. You're just eating to hide whatever it is that you don't want to deal with and what you're feeling. And so it's a major control issue. It's not even about the food because the food is, is just the me a means to an end when you're in that position. And so thinking that you can make yourself a certain weight, a person thinks that things are always going to get better when they get thinner. If I lose 10 more pounds, well, this guy will like me, I'll get the job I want, whatever it might be. And then when it doesn't happen, they keep thinking if they go lower and lower. That's what you can control. And in this pandemic, it's just multiplied because we have so out of control, have so lack of control of so many things right now that it's becoming worse because you can't, you don't know if you're going to get sick. You don't know if you're going to be able to keep your job. You don't know a lot of things. When is this going to get better? Uh, what's going to happen in the election? I mean, it, we're yeah. bummed now so much more. And so watching your body 
change and what you can eat and not eat is what you can control. And that becomes the focus because that becomes what we're, someone is left with to avoid feeling and dealing with whatever it is that they can't control. And right now that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a scary time for many. And I know personally, I'm not sure, but I barely have an appetite. So it's not that I'm trying to not eat, but how does that play a role? You know, when you're anxious, you don't want to eat, you don't want to do anything a lot of times. Um, and can that contribute to an eating disorder? Like, should I be worried? Because I have a pit in my stomach and I feel like I can't eat because I'm literally scared, like, of what's going to happen in this country. Yeah. I'm scared, you know, about my future and my professional career or lack thereof in this, you know, world um, that we're living in. So how is that contributing or ang overall anxiety how does that lead to eating disorders? Well, part of what you just said is you're aware of it. You're aware of what you're feeling and that that's happening. It's very hard to eat when you're not hungry. I mean, even when you're sick and, you, you know, that's not something that you do and you're, you want to make yourself eat. It's very hard to eat when you're hungry. Um, but you're, you're, you're describing feelings that you know are going on for you. So you're aware of it. Um, you may at times have to push yourself a little bit more to make sure that you do eat because you need to. But um, the difference with somebody who's in an eating disorder, they're not thinking about that. They don't want to eat. And if somebody wants to eat and they don't want to keep the food in, they're going to get rid of it. And um, that's what they're focusing on. They're not focusing on the fact that why do I feel upset that I don't want to eat? In their mind, that's the way it works for them. That's what's working for them, and that's how it's keeping them, their, um, their feelings uh, held back from having them deal with them because they're avoiding all that by concentrating on the food. Um, so it's difficult because now you're sitting home in your house and doing what you're doing, and the food is right there. It's a very easy thing for somebody to control, whether you're going to have it or you're not going to have it. And then somebody that's not eating um, – feels better because they're watching the scale go down and someone who's bulimic that takes in hundreds of calories and needs to purge the purge is going to make them feel better in whatever term that they're in whatever way they're doing that if it's over exercising laxatives you know making themselves throw up whatever it might be that's going to make them feel better but the cycle will just continue because those feelings will still make make, make inching in their way up and they don't want to deal with them so they'll turn to the food so if you're not aware of it and you don't know that it's because of something else, you're not going to, you're not going to figure that out. And most people cannot figure that out on their own. Anyway, you need somebody to help you and you need a professional to help you with that. And you can, you absolutely can get that help. You can work through it and you can recover from it. And that's another message that, you know, gets lost in the shuffle is that you don't get better from it. Um, I mean, any mental health from that, it, it mental illness from that point of view, you know, any help can support you and you can live without it or certainly monitor it and um, depending on what it is. But eating disorders are certainly recoverable and most people don't think they are. Right. So there is hope. People can get better. So how do we learn to cope? You know, I know there is professional treatment available and not something that most people might need. Um, but I guess what is that process? What are the signs and symptoms to look for? And then once we do identify that something's wrong, how do we start that conversation? And what can we recommend to someone who's struggling? Well, if you're living with somebody um, and you start to recognize 
that their eating habits are changing. You have to pay attention because like you just said, Kelly, you know, you're having problems with that and, and you, you don't have an eating disorder. So circumstantially, you kind of have to watch that and you have to see, you know, are they, are they eating? Um, are they eating more than they normally do? And are they disappearing after they eat? And that's hard to do when you're living with other people and you're not alone. If you're solely living by yourself, no one's, especially now, no one's going to notice much. Um, so you really have to pay closer attention. You have to listen to their conversation. And if you think something is happening because maybe they've lost their job or they're getting divorced or there's some trauma situation that's happened that you're aware of, that's the first thing to know that, well, maybe something is going to happen with that because if they're not talking to somebody, if they're not getting help or they're depressed or um, the conversation doesn't sound normal to you like you normally would have with them if you're not with them, they're cues, you know, to pay attention to. And you need to just ask them what's going on. You know, how are you feeling? And focus on that and see if you can start to, after a while, get them to kind of talk. And believe me, it is not easy with someone with an eating disorder because they're not going to volunteer much at all. And rarely will you have someone that is eating disorder symptom to tell you, this is what I'm doing. Rarely, if you do, then that's, that's really a positive because that means that they're subconsciously really want to get help and they don't want to do it because they want other people to know about it. Most, most eating disordered individuals don't want anyone to know. And um, you don't want to talk about food with them if you see that that's something that they're working, that they're using, because it's not about the food. Typically, when you start to get help for an eating disorder, fixing your food issues are usually the last thing that gets worked on because they have to figure out why and, um, and how to manage that. So um, you have to keep your ears open and you have to not be afraid to ask questions and expect denial and I'm fine because that's going to be the answer you're often going to get. Um, but just stay with them. You know, be as supportive as you can and share what you do when you struggle. You know, right. some of our struggles are the same right now. So let them know, you know, when I start to feel anxious or depressed or worried, you know, this helps me and this is what I do. You know, it, it, there's suggestions and they may start to think that maybe, well, if that works for her, maybe I'll try that. And maybe they could concentrate on doing something else that might be more helpful than not eating or, you know, overeating, if that's something that they're doing. Um, that's helpful too. But keeping conversation and letting them know that, you know, if you need some support, I'm happy to go with you, call with you look for you, you know, I'll be there with you. And, um, and sometimes that will be helpful because they may say to you, oh, could you find out something for me? You know, or, you know, I found out something for you. Do you want me to go with you? Or let's make a phone call. You know, um, there's a lot of Zoom support groups available, which is kind of an easier way for sometimes for them to start because you don't have to leave your house and um, you can still talk to somebody and feel more comfortable. So those are all a lot of options. That's probably one of the only positive side effects right now going on is that there's a lot of um, Zoom support. Um, a lot of places have because you can't go, you know, you can't go in person. But um, yeah. don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid of, you know, having them get angry at you because you're asking because that's defense mechanisms and that's what we do when we're eating disorder. So, um, you know, just know it's not an easy process. It's not like, God forbid, somebody gets hurt, you know, call the doctor, I'm taking you to the doctor. 
you know, as you know, with mental illness, it doesn't work that way. And it certainly doesn't with eating disorders. Absolutely. And mental disorders, you know, affect many aspects of our life. You know, they manifest physically and that kind of ties in the piece of the eating. And it's like, how are you functioning? Are you eating? Are you sleeping regularly? How are your moods? Um, and all of that can be indicative of someone having a mental health disorder. And like you said, eating disorders are kind of unique in the sense that it's a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, and so you mentioned that it's not really about the food. It's not really about physical appearance underneath it all. So what is the root of these issues? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? Is it pre-existing other mental health conditions? Is it trauma? Can you speak to that? All, all of the above. I mean, a lot of times eating disorders is a comorbid issue with substance abuse often um, or some trauma that's happened to somebody often. Yeah. Um, in my case, it was low self-esteem, um, not being able to deal with confrontation, which is not uncommon. I was not, didn't want to make waves. You know, everything's fine. You know, I held it in. If I was upset with somebody, I didn't talk about it. Um, I couldn't handle it if somebody said something to me. Um, I just, I couldn't. You know, I was a peacemaker. Everything had to be really, really smooth. And I never really learned how to deal with conflict. And conflict is part of real life. You know, and I, in my mind, something traumatic was going to happen if there was a fight or an argument. And um, I grew up in a house where, you know, none of us did that. You know, we were all very passive and, and no one said anything about anything that bothered them. And later, as I got older, I started to witness that happening with other people. And, and I noticed that, you know, the world did collapse. But for me, I was afraid to do that. And um, I would keep everything in. And I was very concerned about how I looked on the outside because I felt like that was my only value. I didn't feel smart or intelligent. I wasn't the smart one in school. I ended up in a career that I didn't want to do when I didn't know how to get out of it. And there were years and years of that. And it started when obviously I was much younger. But when I was in college, I wasn't ready to go away. You know, I wasn't ready to go away to college. I didn't know how to say, I don't want to go. Everybody was going. That's what everybody did. You know, I, I went to Ryder University, which was Ryder College back at the time. And it wasn't that far from home, but I wasn't ready. And that's part of what you need to encourage, particularly younger people at this stage, um, is that you're allowed to say what you feel. And if it's something that you don't want to do, say that and talk it through and figure out why and there's other choices you know i didn't know that i could quit my job and get another one it never dawned on me truthfully so um so and i was depressed because depression you know is kind of one of those underlining things with a lot of mental illness but um i was depressed for a long time and um you know i still battle with that certainly um I'm not symptomatic with my eating disorder anymore, but, you know, I still have triggers that triggered me then that will trigger me now. You know, if something is going on with a member of my family or, you know, something's upsetting to me and I don't know how to handle it. I feel it. Um, I just, you know, try to cope with it, you know, in a less destructive way, which is always easier said than done. But, um, but that's maintenance, you know, and that's understanding that there are other ways to do things. And when you're entrenched in an eating disorder, you don't see any other way to handle it. Right. Um, it's scary. And I always tell my kids this, you know, feelings are not bigger than you are. You know, you feel them and you get through them and you're okay. But to have the exercise of doing that 
often it's very scary. People don't want to go there, but they're not bigger than you are. You have lived through them to get there. Yeah. So they haven't, you know, destroyed you. So you have the power over um, managing them and surviving them. And, um, and that's a hard thing to learn sometimes, you know, um, and especially now because we have a lot of negative feelings, all of us. Yeah. Definitely. And so what if someone's not ready to get help? You mentioned um, part of the disorder is being defensive and trying, you know, they want to, to keep going with this. So if someone's not ready, um, but also with these issues, it is very physical and there is the threat of your health. Like, um, I, I believe that the mortality rate of anorexia is quite high and yes. individuals really do need professional treatment to start their recovery in most cases. So yeah, how, how do you navigate that when someone doesn't believe they have a problem or is not ready? As you mentioned, when you were in college, you weren't ready at that point and it took you several years before you were ready. Right. Um, yes, well, anorexia is the number one mental illness that women die from in this country. And, that, and if they're not dying from the symptoms of anorexia, they're committing suicide. So it's huge. It's a huge number. And it's really hard to get somebody to recognize that they need help. I and mean, you can stand them in front of the mirror and it's blatantly clear. They have body dysmorphia and they don't see it. They don't see it. And it's very frustrating for somebody who loves somebody and cares for somebody and sees them because they don't get it. And you're right, physically, a lot of things can happen and their life is in danger. I mean, you are physically, you can die from it for sure. And bulimia and over um, compulsive overeating, I mean, you certainly can die from it and if it's not handled. So it's really hard when they don't want to get help. You just, you have to hang in there and be as supportive as you can. And it's very frustrating and hope that with support and information and conversation, they will, maybe something will spark and they don't have to necessarily, you know, go into a hospital or go into a treatment center. You know, there's obviously outpatient things that they can do and support groups that they could start with, something that will make them feel comfortable. But it is a process. And um, a lot of times it takes something physical to happen for somebody to end up in the hospital. And maybe they'll be fortunate to come across a doctor that has some knowledge of eating disorders and is able to give them information and pass them on to a specialist because you don't want to work with somebody that doesn't understand eating disorders because you can get a lot of bad information. Um, so that's a really important question to ask when you're um, looking for help. And, um, and just be as supportive as you can. And you have to watch out for yourself as well when you're living with somebody or there's someone in your life with an eating disorder. There's a lot of self, I hate that word self-care, but there's a lot of things that you need to do for yourself as the caretaker or the, um, right. because it's hard to watch. It's really hard. I mean, God forbid they have a physical condition, you know, they're going to the doctor and you're going to get them help. And that's a little bit more um, comforting for you. But when it's an eating disorder, it's hard. It's really, really hard. It doesn't make a lot of sense to somebody watching. There's a lot of great books out there and there's a lot of things to read to help you with that. But, you know, in the case of, with my husband, I mean, my husband was a smoker and that was the thing that helped him understand more what was going on with my addiction because he was a smoker. But a lot of people, you know, they get abandoned by people that are living with them that don't understand. They can't live with it. It's very hard to live with it. And um, 
you have to get help for yourself if that's happening as well. So um, it's, it's, unfortunately, it's really, really hard. Um, the good news is there is help available and there's a, there's a lot of really fun help, but um, it takes somebody, uh, it takes somebody a long time till they realize that they, they want that help. Um, Cause they don't really understand why, cause it's working for them. The eating disorder is working for them and keeping them from feeling whatever they're feeling with, not feeling and coping with whatever they're not coping health, healthy in a healthy way with. So they don't want to give it up. They're not going to want, and they're not going to think they're doing anything that's wrong or unhealthy. Right. So you just keep supporting them, keep encouraging them so that they know when they do, when they are willing to get help, you'll be that person. You can present help. Exactly. And you could say to them here, let, let, think about it. You know, I'll check back with you in a couple of weeks that maybe, you know, you'll feel like you want it. We'll make a phone call or, you know, you'll reach out um, and, and let them, you know, f- sit with it and think about it. And hopefully they will jump on board, but it could take a while. Um, Definitely. And they'll, if something happens physically and they land in a hospital, um, that hospital will get them physically stable and then they'll just, they'll just tell, they'll, you know, release them. And they'll go back to where they are. So when they're in, if that happens, that's an opportunity sometimes to say, well, when you leave here, we have a plan for you so that you don't, you get better and this doesn't happen again. And, you know, it might be a good time to step into, you know, an option for them. But of course, you don't want it to come to that. But sometimes it has to for them to right. really, really not well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for shedding light on so many topics here and being so vulnerable, sharing your own story. And I think it'll really give hope to a lot of people and show the magnitude and the impact of these issues and that eating disorders are real. You know, it's not just something that someone can just stop doing or, um, you know, that person might not see what you see. You might look at them and be like, your body's fine, but it is deeper than that appearance aspect. So Gail, where can people get involved or where can people contact and find you? So you can find me um, on mentalhealthdirects.com. Um, my website is it's about to be under construction, but you can reach me there. You can email me at mentalhealthdirects@gmail.com or gailshowenback at gmail.com, and I will, you know, I will get back to you. And um, that's the best way to get me because if it's not me, somebody is checking my my email, and I get it every day. So um, that's the best way to get in touch with me. And um, and I have, you know. Um, on Facebook, I'm on Instagram as well, so you can find me there as, and send me a message on, you know, that way as well. So, um, and uh, you know, happy to do whatever I can to help um, anybody. You know, I could sit here and talk about this today because there's never enough. <laughs> sure, but um, I appreciate that you're, you know, you're bringing this to to light, Kelly, because I know you're doing you're doing a lot of great work as well, and um, I appreciate that, you know, I appreciate any time anybody brings eating disorders to the forefront because, you know, um, it's not, does, still doesn't get it, you know, it doesn't always get the, the importance of it, um, doesn't always come out because, again, you know, a lot of society thinks that choice and somebody decides not to eat and can just eat any time. And, and, and a lot of individuals hide it too, you know, that's part of the illness. So it's important that with our platforms that we do t- speak on this and, especially, you know, with plastic surgery being normalized and filters. It's like, for me, the plastic, you know, I know we should like start a series because there's so many things we can talk about sadly, which I know, I know it's, um, 
it's and it's just starting younger and younger with all those things like you you mentioned and um we have to you know help the kids um um for sure because they're those images are really really triggering and they don't even but yeah it's a scary climate but luckily there's people like you who are and leading from the front (laughs) thank you (laughs) So, Gail, anything else you want to leave for these viewers? Thank you again for doing this today. Um, I mean, all I'm going to say is, you know, reach out if you need. If you're feeling anything, reach out because there is help available. Um, There is affordable help that's available if that ends up being something that's, you know, a um, a block for somebody. But um, you can start and reach out to me and I'll, you know, I'll help and try to send you in the direction that, you know, you can find something. But, um... We're all in this together, you know, and everybody, if you're feeling something more than likely, you know, four other people next to you are as well. So you're not alone and don't be afraid to, you know, to talk to anybody about, you know, something that's bothering you. Yeah. Express how you feel. I think that's the perfect note to leave it on. Um, Thank you, Gail, again. That's Mental Health Directs and the Freed Foundation. Yes. And it was really nice to see you. And um, I hope to do this with you again. Yes, we'll have to get coffee soon or do another spinoff series from this. Um, But thank you again for taking the time and thank you for all the great work that you're doing. Thank you. All right. Bye, Gail. Thanks again. You're welcome.